You've been listening to amazing music here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Coming up next, JM Sunday with Matis Weingast here at NahumSiegel.com.
Good morning, everyone. Welcome to JM Sunday Live right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm your host, Matis Weingast, and uh, today is the 16th of August, the 26th of the month of Av. Rosh Chodesh Elul begins on uh, on Wednesday night into Thursday and uh, Friday. Wow. Uh if you're studying Daf Yomi, a new Masechta started this past week. Uh, it's uh, Ervin Daf Zion 7. Great time to start. Pick it up and uh, continue on for another uh, number of years. Temperature outside in our area is a rainy 69 degrees right now, going up to 70 degrees this afternoon. Again, rainy throughout the day. And then uh, 67 degrees overnight. In Jerusalem right now, it's 85 degrees and sunny. Also going down to a low of 67 degrees. I hope you all had a wonderful Shabbos and a wonderful week. That passed. We are looking forward to uh, being with you for the next two hours. And then, of course, on the network, great programming all day long. Rabbi Goldwasser coming up at uh, 730 I believe we're going to get the news from Israel at 8 o'clock. And then around 8.15, we'll be joined by Jody Samuels to discuss her new book, Chutzpah, Wisdom, and Wine, The Journey of an Unstoppable Woman. We'll talk a bit about the book and her journey and the things that she has accomplished with her family over the last number of years. So we look forward to that 8.15. Uh, and we're going to just play the music. We're going to start off with Mendy Jerufi. Uh, here on JM Sunday. So thanks for joining us. Comment on the app if you want. We'll try to get some requests on if we can. Uh, but uh, say hi. And uh, we'll be more than happy to respond. Mendy Jerufi here on JM Sunday on the Nachum Siegel Network. <laughs> Kate's a Nerag, 
friend Johnny Boy here.
Levine here on JM Sunday. Before that, Yaakov Shweki, Gadel Bazit, Dadja, and Mendy Jerufi. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. We'll get to Rabbi Goldwasser in a few seconds. Uh, it is the uh, 16th of August, 26th of Av. Rosh Chodesh Elul coming up this week, Wednesday night to Thursday and Friday. And uh, we're happy you could join us here. Great programming, of course, continues all day long on the network and all week long. We're here for about another hour and a half. Uh, I heard from uh, Hannah Julian, and uh, we're giving her the uh, morning off. Uh, She is uh, busy with something, and uh, we'll reconvene with her next next week, God willing, right here with the News from Israel. and uh, coming up at about 8.15, we're going to be joined by uh, author Jody Samuels. I should say author and, uh, and, and wife and mother uh, and, and a lot of other things. Uh, Jody Samuels, who uh, published the book Chutzpah, Wisdom, and Wine. She wrote the book and published it. Um, and uh, that is The Journey of an Unstoppable Woman. Very interesting read. And we'll discuss her life with her at around 8.15. Uh, and my thanks, as always, to uh, Stuart Schnee for uh, getting us together on that. Uh, he is a uh, great public relations coordinator in, uh, well, he's in Israel, based in Israel, but, you know, he's around the world, so uh, you can catch him anytime, and he'll, he'll do great work for you. So thank you uh, again, Stuart, for that. And... Uh, Yes, so we're going to get to Rabbi Goldwasser now at this time each and every Sunday through Thursday. We present to you Rabbi David Goldwasser. Rabbi Goldwasser's words, L'zecha nishmas Arvzev, Rabbi Yosef Alevi, and L'zecha nishmas Esther Bas, Rabbi Yosef Alevi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with morning chizuk. Good morning. We learn in the Pasuk, Aser Ta'aser, that a person should surely give Meiser. The Medrash Tanchuma says, Aser Kedei Shalot Tishaser. A person should be careful. If they give Meiser properly, they will have their possessions. If they are Zoche, they will go to sow and plant in their fields. They will reap a rich harvest. But if not, 
the one who goes out to the fields will find that they take out the anger on the individual, like Esau, as it says that Esau was the Isha Sada, Lotzud Tzayid. He went out in order to hunt. The Zarashimshan asked the question, why does the failure to take Miser anger Esau more than any other Avera, any other sin? We find that Esau used to deceive his father, specifically in the area of Miser. He would ask his father, uh, how much Maser do you have to give from straw or salt? These are items that one does not have to give any Miser at all from. Why specifically did Esau choose the mitzvah of Miser? We know that the greatest matana that Hashem gave to Avram Avinu and all his children and all the generations was Eretz Yisroel. At the time, the Kananim had a stronghold there. However, Hashem promised to take them out and give it to Bnei Yisrael. The Zerashimshin observes that one who wants to merit the Matana of Eretz Yisrael has to fully acknowledge that Hashem is the owner of the land. Esau had wanted to be Zochet to Eretz Yisrael. He wanted his father to give him a chilek. And therefore, he specifically addressed that mitzvah, which has a manifestation of the acknowledgement of Hashem's dominion. But when Bnei Yisrael don't give Miser, then Esau is angered, because then we are not any better than he is. We're no more deserving of the land than Esau. Because of that, this particularly stirs the wrath of Esau. The great Hasidic master Rav Nachman of Breslov said that when a person gives money or miser, they have the power to change Midas Adin to Midas Arachamim, the divine attribute of strict justice to the divine attribute of mercy. Avraham was lifted above the Mazalos and shown that his offspring were rooted in Sedek. Avraham Avinu knew that through acts of tzedakah and chesed, he could temper the justice and draw tzedakah, righteousness and loving kindness, to his entire family. Tzedek, with a hay added, becomes tzedakah. And so too, Avram had the hay added to his name, Avraham. May all of Klal Yisrael be zoche, through chesed and tzedakah, to Besuros Tavos Yeshuos Vedechamos. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you morning chizik. Have a nice day. Morning, I'd look up at him and sing the day I need. With the sunrise, I'd be off to shul, a keyboard key, I read. Learning Torah day and night into wisdom, still a part of me. But now I feel like I'm not who I used to be. Oh, but now I feel like I'm not who I used to be. See, I'm older now, and I've been blessed with everything I asked for. With a family and have a life that more than one could wish for. 
Now there are responsibilities Cause the bills they're coming more and more But did I lose that life I had before? Oh, but did I lose that life I had before? Is that all? Oh, you think that there'd be so much more to life than that? The days, the weeks are slipping, falling from my grasp When everything you thought was real all fades away and nothing seems to last Oh, who's there and all you had to do is dance So this world wants to keep us from our own shivo walls But our souls cry out to all of us And beg to heed their call Oh, what happened to the greatness That your teacher said they saw in you Did you think that when you needed it Abandoned you? Did you think that when you needed it Abandoned you? Is that all? Oh, you'd think that there'd be so much more to life than that Days no weeks are slipping, falling from my grasp When everything you thought was real fades away And nothing seems to last Oh, he's there and all you had to do is ask Is that all? Oh, you'd think that there'd be so much more to life than that The days no weeks are slipping, falling from my grasp Everything you thought was real all fades away And nothing seems to last Oh, he's there and all you had to do is Hashem wants you to reach for Him from wherever you may be Oh, to see His glory everywhere below our red kibodo And you're not far off that road you started years ago Oh, you never left that road you started years ago Oh, is that all? Oh, you think that there'd be so much more to life than that? The days the weeks are slipping, falling from my grasp When everything you thought was real fades away And nothing seems to last Oh, he's there and all you had to do is ask Is that all? Oh, you'd think that there'd be so much more to life than that The days the weeks are slipping, falling from my grasp Everything you thought was real fades away and nothing seems to last Oh, he's there and all you had to do is ask Oh, he's there and all you had to do is ask Oh, he's there and 
Gerstner here on JM Sunday, 8 o'clock in the morning Eastern Time. Now, whatever it is where you are. Before that, we heard a selection from uh, one of the Hasidic Song Festivals. We heard Moshav Band, Shiva Boys Choir, and Ari Boyanju here on JM Sunday on the Nachum Siegel Network. Matis Wine Guest with you. As I mentioned earlier, Hannah Julian is off today. We'll reconvene with her next week uh, to get the latest news of the day. Um, from Israel. At 8.15, we're going to be joined by Jody Samuels, and we'll be discussing her new book, Chutzpah, Wisdom and Wine, The Journey of an Unstoppable Woman. So we're looking forward to that coming up in uh, a few minutes. And in the meantime, we're going to go back to the music as we do uh, 
Ruvi Barnett is up with Zoha. So uh, here uh, he is on JM Sunday on the Nachum Siegel Network. Yeah. 
Moshe Ilowitz with Samchaim here on JM Sunday. Before that, Sholly Waldner and uh, Reuven Bannett opened up our uh, our song segment here at the uh, 8 o'clock hour. And uh, right now it's 8.14 uh, here on uh, the East Coast of the United States. Thank you all for joining us on another live edition of JM Sunday on the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Matis Weingast, and I'm happy to be with you, and I'm happy you are with us. And thank you for the comments on the app and for all those listening. Outside of our studios, it's 69 degrees and raining, and it's going up to a high of 70 degrees and rain, and then down to 67 overnight. Uh, we are, and in Jerusalem, it's 85 degrees and sunny, and going down to 67 degrees overnight. Uh, the name of the book is Chutzpah, Wisdom, and Wine, The Journey of an Unstoppable Woman, and it is written by Jody Samuels, and we are pleased to have Jody Samuels joining us here on JM Sunday. Good morning, Jody. Good morning, Matthias. Thank you for joining us, and uh, thank you for writing this book, which is quite wonderful. Uh, it's it's a great read. It's uh, about 300 pages long that basically chronicles your journey through life um, up to uh, the time that you wrote it. And uh, my first question to you is, for whom did you write this book? The book originally started as an uh, uh, as a blog. I had a popular blog on uh, Metro Ema. And people always said to me, you need to write a book, you've got a message. But the blog started when I was fighting for my daughter, who has special needs, right to be included in day school, in a Jewish day school. And that was the beginning of writing and expressing and sharing. And along the way, I was sharing my journey, the hopes, the anxiety, the pain, the stress, the celebrations. But it became much more than about Kayla, my daughter. It became about my family, our journey to Israel, my journey as a Baltivum, um, you know, becoming religious, and everything got peppered in. And I realized there was a message far broader than just special needs. And and that is a, a great outlook, and the way you put it together, because you do have a daughter with special needs, and you have three children. Am I correct? Yes, correct. So you have three children, and you wove in the book all these, uh, I hate to use the term normal, I don't like using the word normal, but typical things that a very busy person would be involved in, and someone who is a traveler like yourself, you wove all of that into your family's um, description and situation, so that it's not simply that you had a daughter, you have a daughter with special needs and have two other children, and you're just sitting around trying to be an advocate. You are doing everything that so many people do, even with this, and, and it is quite fascinating how you are able to put this all together, and I think an inspiration for people. Yeah, I think that when my daughter was born, my biggest fear was, oh my gosh, I had always had these plans, I'm going to be on the front page of business magazines, of Fortune, or Forbes. And I was going to be a world traveler and I was going to do all these things. And I was like, oh, my God, this is going to stop. And I realized it didn't have to stop. And we continued to travel. My daughter, who's 12 with special needs, has been to almost 50 countries. My other kids have been to more countries. I've been to 87, traveling kosher, keeping Shabbat, 
And I thought that in itself is a story for people to hear the message. Being a working mom and an advocate, there's a story there. The family who made Aliyah. So, yes, um, it's not all about my daughter, Kayla, and it's about our family journey. Right, exactly. And when you say special needs, I don't know if you want to you know, discuss the specifics at all. Um, so people will, will who haven't yet read the book will know what the the particular situation is that's up to you if you wish to discuss that a bit more than happy to so my daughter Kayla who's just turned 12 um, was diagnosed with Down syndrome three days after she was born and when the doctor walked in and said Mrs. Samuels did you do genetic testing those were the words that changed my whole family's life (laughs) Yes, I I can only imagine. Uh, and w- one thing, and there's so much to discuss in the book, and I, you know, I want people to get it and read it because it's a fascinating journey. But one thing that you uh, make clear is that from the beginning, you did not want the family to feel that there was any difference that couldn't be dealt with, that couldn't be handled. You wanted as much normalcy within the family grouping with your other children to take place. And I think that's a very important outlook for somebody to have. Uh, How difficult was that to accomplish? You know, when I got the message for the first, when the doctor raised his concerns and my husband's actually a doctor and has delivered babies as well as part of his training, and he had not picked up any um, concerns at first. But when the doctor said, before we even got the test back, we knew this was going to be the diagnosis. And I was terrified. I saw everything race against me. And one of my biggest fears is like, oh, my God, oh, my God, what is this going to mean for my two older children? And you think of everything from if when you're not there to who's going to look after her and how's it going to impact their lives and will they be able to get married with a sister with special needs and I was like freaking and I took a deep breath and I realized I went into the bathroom looked myself in the mirror and I was like we have a home that was a completely completely open home we had our door was literally and figuratively open thousands of guests passed through our home every single year and I was like wow if we can open our home to perfect strangers yet we couldn't open our home and our hearts to our own daughter, then I thought my life would be a lie. And I had this like moment of clarity, and I knew that I wasn't going to be that person who was going to be a victim. I wasn't going to be that person who was going to be sad, and I wasn't going to make this a tragedy for her siblings. I walked out, I told my husband my view on the world, and thank God he was on the same page. So that actually, our struggle was not us coming to terms with that. It was getting everyone else to either believe we were really okay or that the situation was okay and it wasn't something to be sad about. Right. That seems to be the uh, one of the biggest issues with um, situations like this where other, even close family members, don't understand what you could go through and appreciate the gift that you have. You know, we talk about a lot of, People out there talk about people with special needs, but they use the term disabilities. I'm an ADD person. I don't look at at something with a disability. It's just a different ability. And yet people on the outside who don't realize it will look and say, oh, what's she going to go through? What's she going to do? What's the family going to do? 
And and that's difficult also, like you said, to get them to understand that you're going to do whatever you can to advocate for your entire family, and you're going to do as much as you can. You're going to give them as much as you can. And like you said, you're a world traveler, and the whole family's participated in that. Uh, now, it goes back also, like, like you touched upon, that your home is very open. You came from a background in South Africa as you write here, um, that was more secular than uh, than religious, and you had a path through that. And one of the people that you met along the way, to whom you dedicated the book, uh, if I pronounce her name properly, it's Kava Fackler, is it, I believe? Yeah. Right? And she opened her home to you as you were traipsing through Europe, <laughs> just having to get over there. Uh, and, and that must have also helped you with the mindset of how you want to lead your life for others. It was an incredibly powerful message. I landed up in London during the Gulf War. Um, I was in Israel for my gap year, and I left on one of the last flights out. And I suddenly was in England, and I didn't have any money, and my parents were adamant I should come back to South Africa. They went into this whole Israel journey and becoming religious thing that I was on. <laughs> And they were dead against it. And I was invited. This family said I could stay with them for a few days. And I walked into their house and a meal, one, one meal became a lifetime of friendship. But while I was living with them and they were giving me this incredible hospitality, I was embarrassed because I didn't even have money to bring a bottle of wine to the Shabbat table, let alone pay my way. And they said, the most important gift you can do for us is to pay this forward. And I really took that message to heart. And many, many, many years later, and thousands and thousands of guests, I really believe they gave me a gift that keeps giving. Right, absolutely. And you mentioned in the book, uh, in, in one of the chapters, uh, uh, I think it was when you were in Tasmania, uh, somebody knocked on your door. Uh, looking for the for the Chabad shul, just like a stranger out of there wearing a, a yarmulke. So it's almost like it turned the whole thing around. Suddenly here's a stranger just popping into you. Yes. I mean, it was quite a momentous meeting because my husband was working as a doctor in Outback, Australia, and he was on medical call. And I was we were living in this little town where there were a few hundred Jews on the whole island. And a Chabad rabbi came in every few weeks, and this guy heard through Chabad there was this Orthodox family. He knocked on the door. I was so excited to be a Jew with a kippah. He could have been an axe murderer. I was still <laughs> big excited. And he, we started talking, and he told me he was involved in recruiting young professionals and university students to go in a fellowship program through Asia Torah to Israel. And our next stop in my husband's rotation was going to be in a place called the Gold Coast in Australia, which is a university town. And a lot of Jewish kids go there. And he said, if we could recruit um, 15 participants, we could go to Israel for free, have an accommodation in the old city. And this sounded too good to be true. So I went into Jody Media and Marketing and Sales Mode. <laughs> And somehow got 15 people on this trip, and that started a whole journey of engagement with Asia Torah and running branches for them and sort of stepping into a 
community in a much larger level. And, and, and Jody Samuels is our guest. She's the author of the book Chutzpah, Wisdom, and Wine. Uh, we didn't get to the wine part yet about how that helps you, except for the fact that you couldn't bring a bottle when you went to visit the Facklers in London. But um, you, uh, you, you are involved in outreach. And by the way, all these things you talk about, and I, I, I you know, want to make the audience clear on this, and they'll see it from the book. This is all within your family unit. This is all with integrating everybody in the family with this. This is about bringing your daughter and your other children with you on these journeys. It's not about something separate. This is all part of a great life that you have put together. So you... Um, you got involved with outreach, which kind of makes sense based on your background, and you had a good experience with um, your uh, outreach, again, with the Facklers. Um, but I have a question on outreach. When you were there and you, were, you visited that family and you were taken in by um, what they had to say in their lifestyle, uh, many times we hear of teenagers even today, who are looking for something. And if they don't find Judaism, uh, which is, if assuming it's their um, native religion, if you will, they could find something else that gives them what they're looking for. Uh, how do you suggest that people move towards the Jewish aspect if they're looking for something? Because we, we hear the stories about people going to the Eastern cultures and because they are still looking for something which Judaism has, but they don't know how to find it. I think that Judaism has it. I think where we're failing in our communities is that people aren't passionate. So we so often see people living a Jewish life, but they're living it without the passion. And I truly believe what inspired me about the Fucklers there and then, yes, it was their hospitality, but it was their, their absolute passion, their passion to make sure they had Shabbat guests, their passion around Judaism. And I really believe that you see sometimes these kids go traveling, they go wandering, but what are they really looking for? We're all searching to belong. We're searching for community. We're searching for connection. We're searching for, searching for something greater. And kids and teenagers and adults themselves need to feel like they're part of a bigger mission a bigger journey and you have to feel passionate and i hope i hope my kids the one message they get is that we live our lives with passion we don't just host, host guests we passionately host guests. we love hosting guests we don't just travel we love doing things and i think that we have to switch from power of mode to passion mode in order to inspire in our teens whatever level of religious life we live in you have to inspire in them real engagement and real passion. To tell your kids, well, go to shul or do this or do that, but you're not passionate about it, you're not going to be able to transmit that message. Right, right, exactly. That's a great message uh, nowadays. And, you know, it's very interesting in this in this age of COVID with uh, everything being so different and the family unit becoming tighter. Um, it, it must be a good opportunity for many families to talk about this, um, yet, People may not know how to approach it. Uh, you know, they're they're kind of stuck together, if you will, and they may reevaluate. Okay, what is it that we've been doing? Uh, but but they don't know, necessarily know how to approach that to get to the passionate level, as opposed to just the rote level of doing what they've been doing. So you know, it's like almost the Nike saying, "Just do it." Instead of just doing the next time you host guests or the next time you do, you know, it could be as simple as lighting candles with your daughter and doing it 
but looking up something on the internet before, coming up with a story, coming up with a meaning, making it a family affair. There's, there, I think that each family have to find what their unique issues are and their unique things they connect to. Where I see that people do fail is they don't put in the effort. Recently, we had Shabbat guests come over and the mother, they have five daughters, and she spent so much time doing the brachot with each girl before and helping, you know, they spoke about what they wished for the week and they turned it into a whole meaningful family event. I was like, wow, that's so beautiful. It might be another family, the way they give their brachot at the Shabbat table, but they made it into something meaningful, not just rote. And so often we forget the part of stopping it's like stopping to smell the coffee while it's also stopping to enjoy the wine. It's also to stop and really think how can we connect with each little neshama that we have in our home as opposed to just take mitzvah done. Right. Don't take things for granted and see see the beauty and see the, like you said, the passion in every level of what it is that you do. Uh, one of the things that, um, that you discuss here in the book or you mention in the book is that you, for person who expresses herself very well and has done so much you get the you get stage fright in different uh, at different times uh and i think as um, as people in the in the media and people in the entertainment and people in whatever walk of life you see people that seem so uh put together and so capable of doing something getting up there speaking in front of people not knowing what goes on beforehand uh how do you deal with that so my family know that I'm not nearly as comfortable and as confident as I appear. And they know my telltale signs from like picking the skin on my fingers. <laughs> but one of the, one of my tricks is to always, I, I joke about it, but it's really true. You need a good glass of red wine before every public speaking engagement. I There's knew no we'd cure. get the red wine in there. I knew we'd get the wine. <laughs> There's no cure like a good glass of red wine to calm the nerves. And right. I really, really, really rely on that before i get up to speak publicly right right and and by the way you know from a scientific standpoint we could sit and discuss it for an hour how um the different chemicals in wine actually do uh that i would not advocate doing that before driving somewhere but you know right before you're going on stage or getting ready to speak it might be good um again there's so much to discuss jody samuels chutzpah wisdom and wine is the name of the book Uh, it's available on amazon um Pick it up. It's a great, great read. It's so much information in there. Uh, so when you, you've, you've done, among other things, you've started your own organization, outreach organization in New York. I think it's called JICNY, if, I, if I'm correct. Uh, and there's you've, you've discussed a lot over there. Uh, one of the – I want to go back now for a bit to the, uh, to the, to the special needs – issues if if we may you made aliyah uh but one of the things you said in the book one of the um i forgot which uh here, here it is i have my i have your book all marked up with little post-its that's the way i do when i read it so you you talk about how uh, when you were enrolling your daughter in school wanted to enroll your daughter in school you went to a, a top school and we're basically told oh we don't have the resources to to accept your daughter here um and I, I don't know if you feel this way. I, I certainly see it sometimes that even professionals, if they're not really trained and capable of of dealing with things out of the box, they don't know what to do. And it's easier to say we just can't handle it instead of trying to. So has 
have things changed over the last 12 years from what you've seen? And now, being in Israel, how was it and how is it there compared to the United States? Is it easier? Is it harder? Do people understand? Are they learning? Or is it still uh, a difficult situation? Okay, so I think that it's important to know, in our experience, it was so much more about the leadership and their philosophy that was, yes, we can do this, or no, we can't. If the leadership had open-mindedness and open-heartedness, they believed that they could try. No one ever promised us that it could be successful or it would work 100%, but they were willing to try. 50% of the battle is willing to try and see how to make it work. And unfortunately, I experienced with some institutions where the answer was no without even a discussion. Mm-hmm. And yet there were other places that were, we are willing to try. And you know what? The willing to try was 50% for the battle and helped us. And yes, we were successful now. We were also had to work hard and there's no question that we challenged but it's that willingness, so, and it comes from the leadership, and it comes from the Hashkafa, the organizations, so there's no question about that. With regard to have things improved, I do believe that our campaign in New York created awareness. We had thousands of people following our calls. We made media. We brought the story up front and center. We gave um, strength to other families of special needs children to take a stand and not just be bullied or not just be left behind for no real reason. We gave them confidence that their children were worth the right. We believe that inclusion is a right and not a privilege for every child. It's not easy, but it's a right. And that message, I, I believe we empowered a lot of other special needs parents. I believe we also helped um, other families who wanted this to feel comfortable to take a stand. And this is families with typical children who saw this as the right thing to do. Long term, I do believe the needles moved. I do believe even the organization that rejected my daughter have made progress and have hired faculty that are much more open-minded. Mm-hmm. We say parents like us create the battle so that the next generation can benefit. So it's not necessarily my daughter's generation who will get the benefit of all our fighting, but hopefully the next generation of kids who require inclusion in our Jewish day schools will have a more open environment. Right, and that is extremely important. When you mention inclusion, to, for people to understand that um, there is a... what Again, like I, I think I said earlier, it's not a question of... Um, disabilities, it's a question of what the abilities are. They're different abilities, but they're abilities that can integrate and be included with everybody. And there's nothing to be afraid of. My wife is an inclusion teacher at a public school in the area, special needs, uh, special education inclusion teacher. And the difference between having, um, as I hear and, and see, an inclusion type of classroom as opposed to a separate classroom is uh, is tremendous because everybody is working together and... Uh, you, you just see what everybody's abilities are, and, and you're used to it. It becomes the new normal, if you will. It's not something to be afraid of and not something to look at and say, I can't do this, and you know we can't help you. It, it gives that um, positivity, if you will, to the situation. Absolutely. Everybody benefits, and that's where Israel was, our experience was different, because in Israel, 
it wasn't really a question of the resources. In New York, it wasn't a question yeah. of the resources because your child comes with a basket of services. It was more a question of leadership. It was a question of willingness to see the big picture of what inclusion is about. However, in Israel, they were more open to the idea of inclusion, except they don't provide the resources. Right. So there, where the struggle was completely the opposite, where you're trying to do inclusion in the absence of resources, but you have open-heartedness and open-mindedness. Right, exactly. Uh, you mentioned in your book that you um, met early on with uh, Professor Ruvain Furstein, uh, who was, was a, a world-renowned um, scientist, if you will, uh, and uh, on, on the topic of um, uh, cognitive abilities. And uh, basically, uh, if I can encapsulate his work into a very simple statement, he believed that um, you can always, uh, you can kind of change your so-called intelligence. It grows. It you, you, you're not stuck, you know, when we take on, they give IQ tests and when you're younger and that's your intelligence level. He basically felt that, um, you, you can improve intelligence. You can learn, you can modify and you take what it is and you, you don't pigeonhole someone into an area of intelligence. Um, and I know he, his work has been, um, used in ADD situations, uh, that seems to be the type of the, the the right way of thinking, if you will. You know, what what did you take away from meeting with him? So the most powerful um, lesson we got from the Feuerstein Institute and from Professor Feuerstein, one was their book. The book that they give all the parents says, "If you love me, don't accept me as I am," right. which is. <laughs> It's, you know, instinctively the opposite of like God gives you a special needs child and you have to deal with it. It doesn't mean don't accept me. It means don't accept me as I am, meaning you as the parent and you as the therapist can really believe that the child has potential and always shift the goalposts to help the child achieve 100% of their potential. And that was such a powerful message for us to always believe that our daughter has the potential to reach goals and keep making those goals and keep moving them forward instead of just passively accepting. And one of our profound moments with, we met Professor Feuerstein, he was already in his 90s, and he was almost like a hoss whisperer. He was with my daughter. She wasn't yet making sound. She wasn't uh -huh. yet. And all the therapists were worried. And he sat with her, looked at her, and he started doing baby talk, gurgling with her, and she started having a conversation uh -huh. with him. And he looked at us and he said, promise me two things, that you will always include her in regular education mm -hmm. and you will invite me to the chuppah. <laughs> yeah. They were very powerful messages of hope and positivity. But honestly, the message they teach you is expect, work hard, and don't be disappointed. You know, you're not going to be disappointed that your child didn't achieve X or Y. But expect a lot, push your child, and that has been very formative to how we educate and how we um, work with Kayla on a day-to-day -day basis in our home, in the community. Right, exactly. Um, and, you know, it's funny, like you said, you have certain expectations, 
and they might have to be modified, but there's still expectations, and you're looking for the highest level and giving a challenging environment to to people. Um, again, this question is as much as you want to share it. Your other children over the years now, have they always felt... Um, I don't know how to, how to ask it exactly, but um, have they ever felt like, okay, you know, uh, spend more time with me, or you know, how how are we looking at at the whole family situation, uh, or or from what it seems in the book, the environment you've had really just keeps everybody together. Look, there. I think my two kids, who one is now sixteen and one is eighteen have been incredible partners in the journey. Um, this certainly wasn't our journey alone in moving Kayla along um, her, you know, her challenges and to achieve her goals. And even more so when we made Aliyah, because I always joke to the teachers at school, there are now two special needs in the class. One is the parents and one is Kayla, because we did not speak any Hebrew. And we have relied on children to do not only homework, but to be on the phone and, you know, be mediate between the teachers and, you know, translation between therapists, teachers, they have been involved in every step and so much more. So they have taken on a huge amount of responsibility. And I do believe that there are times that that responsibility has been hard for them. I do believe that they've felt extra protective of Kayla than maybe they would have of another sibling mm-hmm. and I do sometimes think they like, like I sometimes feel exhausted trying to do it all I see that they sometimes frustrated or exhausted or we'll be on a hike and they just want to do this really hard hike and rush up and down and do difficult things and a family hike means slowing down and not necessarily doing what their teenage instinct would do um, but I don't believe that giving children extra responsibility in the long term is a bad thing. And they know that we love them and will fight for them. And when it comes to things that are important to them, it doesn't matter how busy we are, we'll stop and fight for them and work with them to achieve their goals. So they know that we have their back in every moment. But we, they're still teenagers, and I'm sure they'll have their own opinion on all this. Of course. Of course. A um, couple of teasers from the book, which... Uh, it's available on Amazon, Chutzpah, Wisdom, and Wine. Jody Samuels is with us. She's the author. Uh, a couple of teasers. Um, you'll read the book, and you'll find out why uh, Jody will never buy tickets online uh, without double-checking to make sure that she actually placed the order for those tickets. Uh, <laughs> so that's one. Uh, you'll also find out about a uh, bus driver who uh, you met a num- number of times over the years. <laughs> that bus driver's journey uh, may not be the typical journey that you think of, but it's, again, a fascinating story. You, you basically have this book divided into two uh, uh, woven sections. You have each chapter that discusses different things in your life, and then you have in between them uh the little stories, vignettes, tales of a modern Jewish woman. Um, I love the one towards the end where you talk about your daughter, Kayla. You're coming back from a family trip to Greece, and uh, you know that she's um, become Israeli, but uh, just as important, she's she's become her own person when... Uh, you said that you know you've, if I remember correctly, you know that you're back in Israel because of all the pushing at the airport. And you 
told your daughter, hey, you know, be careful when you get pushed. Uh, just, you know, watch out. And she goes, don't worry about me. I'll push back harder. You know, that that, that sums up a tremendous uh, amount, to me at least, of, of everything that you've brought together that she's doing that she understands that and and it's a it's a perfectly normal reaction you know it's uh it's it's great i i have one final question for you um and thank you again for for joining us i, I also want to thank Stuart Stuart schnee who's the publicist who uh, got us together on this he's, he's great and i i thank him so much you're you do a lot so you keep yourself busy what would you say to parents and family members of uh, of of families who have difficult situations, whether it's special needs or whether it's anything else, what do you do for your own mental health and well being to sometimes either step back and and look at things, sometimes how to deal with things? What do you do? What do you recommend somebody does? Um, there are a few things that I think are essential ingredients. Number one is I literally schedule me time into my calendar, whether it means that I'm going to have my nails done or I'm going to go for a walk or I'm going to the gym. That is me time for me because that is oxygen. And we, and especially busy moms and overwhelmed parents, need oxygen to be able to function. <laughs> and you need to do those things that give you your oxygen. Number two, if you're in a relationship, you need to schedule time to be a husband and wife and go out and enjoy each other's company where you transform from mom and dad to husband and wife. People so often, and then when they do take this date night, all they do is talk about the kids and their problems and therapists and stresses. No, you have to have date night, which is for fun. Again, I suggest good red wine, but I suggest that you have time out that is really about focusing on becoming husband and wife versus mom and dad. And then I think the third thing that's really important is to know who have your rabbi or your friend or your mentor or someone that gives you that guidance because there's so much information in this world and so many contradictory opinions on what you should do and directions you could go or how to raise your children. You have to have that one rabbi and person that you follow and that that person guides you through your questions, through your challenges. Everybody needs a mentor. Those are three excellent uh, ideas to do, and I want to thank you for that. And again, Jody Samuels, thank you for writing the book, for sharing your life story. It's not easy to do something like that, but you have done it in a way that is very inspiring and uh, I think gives gives people from all walks of life uh, the ability to, to get something from what you wrote and to hopefully have it uh, impact their lives. So thank you again very much for writing this. Thank you for joining us, and I wish you continued success with the family. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. Jody Samuels. The book is available on Amazon, Chutzpah, Wisdom, and Wine. And uh, we are glad that she could join us this morning for a nice extended discussion. We're going to go back to the music. Uh, we have a few more minutes till the end of the show. And I think we'll get to, uh, uh, let's see, uh, Asher Scharf and Sons. Yeah, we haven't uh, played something from them in a while. So here is uh, Nafshenu on JM Sunday on the Nachum Siegel Network.
Hashem, Oyes Reinu, Umbadineinu, Nasheinu, Hixo, Hixo Lashem, Oyes Reinu, Umbadineinu, Kiva, Yisamar, Yisamar, Yisamar,
In the background, before that, Nafshenu Asher Sharf and Sons from the album Hashomer Shabbos. Thanks, everyone, for joining us this morning here on JM Sunday on the Nachum Siegel Network. My thanks to author Jody Samuels. Her book is Chutzpah, Wisdom and Wine, The Journey of an Unstoppable Woman. Get it on Amazon. It is available, and it is a great, great book to read. Very inspiring. And I thank her for joining us for an extended interview here today on JM Sunday. Great programming continues all day long on the network. Tomorrow morning, Eastern Time, Nachum Siegel on at 6 a.m., followed by the Israel Show with Mayor Weingarten and more great programming throughout the week. Have a great week, everyone, and a great uh, Rosh Chodesh Elul. Coming up later this week, we'll catch you next week right here on JM Sunday on the Nachum Siegel Network. <laughs>
You've been listening to Matis Weingast and JM Sunday on NahumSiegel.com right here at the Nahum Siegel Network.